Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday, church. It's great to be with you all on this Resurrection Sunday. Easter, in many ways, is the high point of the church calendar. This is the day when we celebrate that we have a living God. That our God has brought the future into the present through His resurrection. Today we're going to be in a short passage in Colossians 3. If you want to grab your Bibles, you can turn there. That's what we're going to be reading in in just a minute. If you are unfamiliar with the book of Colossians, it's a very small book in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul to a the church in this area called Colossae, which is actually in modern-day Turkey. And for this church in Colossae, they were struggling to figure out how to be Jesus' people in their city. They were a church that was having all kinds of different philosophies and different scholars and magicians and fortune tellers and different rulers coming in. And they were being tempted to say, well, wait a minute, here's what we know about Jesus, but all this other stuff makes sense too. Can we kind of do a little blend deal? Maybe do a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that? There was a, a lot of scholars have talked about how that region specifically, there, it was almost a melting pot of ideas coming in together. And interestingly enough, the same is true for us. The same is true even for us as believers. We live in a day where philosophers, mystics, fortune tellers are constantly vying for our attention. And regardless of what you might think, you already are being enticed. We all are already being enticed. So I would say to you, what philosophers do you ascribe to today? And you might say, well, none. But what about any of these? Philosophers, fortune tellers, mystics, your Instagram influencers, your favorite actors, your historians, the New York Times, your Ben Shapiro's, the shows you binge on Netflix, the magazines you read, the Pinterest boards that you spend hours curating. This is all sending you not just a way to think about life, but a way to live in the future. These messages, these stories are coming in and we are being enticed like the Colossians to integrate these with the truths of the resurrection. And again, I'm not demonizing these voices. But what we have to be aware is that these are our fortune tellers. These are our mystics. These are the prophets of our culture and our day and age. And again, like I said, and like Colossae, we are being bombarded to use this as our lens for interpreting life. And so today what we're going to see is that Paul in Colossians, specifically in chapter 3, is calling us to see that not only does the resurrection break these powers, but the resurrection is actually the only way to view our life. And I just want to say that at the outset, if you doubt the resurrection, if you doubt the historical reality that Jesus physically walked out of a tomb, if you doubt that, 
I'm really glad you're here. We as a church are really glad that even in the midst of your doubt or your questions, you would show up here. And I want to say that I'm not just saying that to our newer folks, but even to folks that have been with us for a while, if you are wrestling through doubts about the resurrection, I'm glad you're here. Because the Christian faith historically welcomes doubt, welcomes questions, welcomes those who maybe are skeptical. Because friends, at the end of the day, if we don't know how to doubt well, then we're just living in blind faith. And if we don't know how to doubt specifically the resurrection and actually be able to realize and believe that it's true, then Paul would, and the rest of the New Testament would say, we're of all people most to be pitied. So Christianity and Redemption Church is not a place for those with perfect faith. So today I want to invite you, invite me, invite all of us to come to the one who not only stepped out of a grave, but who then says to each one of us, come to me, and you're going to find your own resurrection life. And so now I want us to consider these philosophers, mystics, fortune tellers, the voices that are in our heads, that are calling us to fill our minds with what they are saying, and to hear what God wants to say to us today in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we do praise you that on Resurrection Sunday that we get to be together as your people celebrating all of the incredible, powerful realities that you have accomplished for us. So Jesus, I ask even right now that every man, woman, child here in this place coming under your word would hear you, Jesus, speak to us. Jesus, I want to publicly thank you for how you have met me and strengthened me this week in my prep as I wrestled with the text and wrestled with how to communicate, communicate clearly. And now, Jesus, would your spirit do what he does best and show us Jesus. It's because of him we can pray this in confidence. Amen. If you look at the very start of this passage in verse 1, Paul starts the logic of his passage by saying, if then, if then, if everything that he's been saying up to this point is true, then what does that mean? If the resurrection is real, then what does that mean? Paul has been showing this church and his whole ministry was showing the, the known world at the time that because the resurrection of Jesus was real, that absolutely changes everything. There is not one part of life that is untouched because of the resurrection. So today, what I want us to see is that in light of the resurrection, we live as those who have already died. By embracing our identity as those hidden in Christ through fixing our gaze on things above. This is what we're going to be looking at today. That in light of the resurrection, we live as those who have already died. By embracing our identity as those hidden in Christ 
through fixing our gaze on things above. Let's look at this first point. What does it mean that we live as those who have already died? Paul writes in verse 1 that we've been raised in Christ, that we've already died with Christ. In verse 3 he says, and thus he says, we're hidden in Christ. What does it mean that we have already died in Christ? Well, at the very core of the Christian faith is the reality that Jesus, through his death on the cross, has absorbed the powers of death and Satan and sin. He died to bear our punishment, our death, but he also died so that Satan and death could completely exhaust all of their powers on him. And thus they have no power left because they exhausted themselves on him and then he actually rose out of the weight of all of their power. Satan, remember, had been the ruler of this age. As you study the story of God, you see that Satan was the one who took dominion from Adam and Eve. But now Jesus, as the true Adam, the true son, the true human, has actually come and defeated Satan. So that's why when we put our lives in union with Jesus, when we say, I want to participate with Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, we become those, check this out, who are transferred into his very life and very death. We are united to Jesus, and what is true of him is true of us. Think about that. When we are united to Jesus, what is true of him is true of us. And that's why Paul is writing. That means it's as if we've already died. Obviously, he isn't referring to our physical death, but to the death of separation from God. Paul's referring to the reality that the fears of death that bind and hold so many people captive are no longer a reality for those in Christ. Do you get that? Do you see the power of what Paul is saying in this passage? If you are in Jesus, you are free to live above the power of death itself because you've already died. Jesus is pointing to his empty grave and saying, don't you see? Death no longer has power over those who are in me. That's what the resurrection means for us. That's what Paul is getting at. Think about this. If you found someone in life who truly wasn't afraid of death, afraid of losing, afraid of physical, emotional separation from God, then what could you ultimately take from that person? They have everything. Paul is saying, you've already in Jesus, walked through that death and that resurrection. This is really powerfully illustrated in one of my favorite stories, the story of the revenant. Has anyone ever seen that movie or heard of that movie? I'm not, a lot of times I'll use an illustration and then recommend it. I'm not necessarily recommending this movie. It's pretty graphic. If you've seen it, you know why. It is a great story though. Leo got his Oscar. But this story is about a trapper, a frontiersman back in the 1800s. It's based on a true story. It's based on the story of a man named Hugh Glass, who basically I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a trapper, wanted to have a coonskin cap, wanted to wander the wilderness with a musket. You can ask my parents about that. It's all true. <laughs> but Hugh Glass, this part's true. Back in 1823, he was on an expedition 
with a group of uh, trappers, and he got nearly mauled to death by a bear. Huge mama grizzly bear just ripped him to shreds, tore his throat out, ate chunks of his body out, actually read just, you know, I'd seen the movie, but then I read a little bit more of the details of this week. Apparently, the bear took a bite out of his butt and then gave it to the cubs to eat when he was still alive. So then, as he's laying there dying, the bear leaves him, his friends find him, and then they decide to leave him. He ain't going to make it. And then in part of the movie, his own son ends up getting murdered in front of his eyes as he's laying there dying. So this guy is just going through it. He gets abandoned. And then there's also packs of Indians around that know he's there and they're hunting him too. So as he is left there alone, dying, with wounds that were going to kill him any moment, surrounded by Indians, he begins to move. He begins to crawl. And throughout a very long time, he makes it back to civilization. And upon his return, he, uh, there's a scene where it shows him like getting a bath and it's like, okay, the, the dude literally just died. And he's like sitting in this warm water shaking and he's talking to one of his former friends. And he says, I'm going back out there to kill the guy who killed my son. I'm going out to get my revenge. And his friend says, Hugh, you can't go out there. You're going to die. And Hugh Glass says, I'm not afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. Not afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. He had already died, so to speak. He had already endured the worst that could be thrown at him. And even the name of the movie, The Revenant, means one who has come back as if from the dead. And so for those who are joined to Jesus, we too are those who have already walked through death and been raised anew. Jesus' death is counted as your death. If you have died in Jesus, that is another way that Paul is saying you are linked to him. You are bound inseparably to Jesus. His death was your death. It is impossible for you to be separated from him. So I would just ask you this morning, in what areas of your life do you need that reality to sink in? That you have already died and been raised anew. Where do you need to take fresh courage this morning, fresh faith that you are inextricably linked to Jesus? We often talk about this term gospel fluency here, learning to speak the language of the gospel. This is absolutely what we're talking about. How do you take the truths about Jesus and actually speak them into areas of your life? And what's amazing is that we don't just live as those who have already died, but we now also live in light of realities that we know are real, but do not yet fully see. We live in the tension of the already and the not yet. As Paul writes, we live in both the hidden and the revealed. We live in the midst of the hidden, but has not yet fully appeared. So second thing we want to look at, we embrace our identity as those hidden in Christ. 
The resurrection of Jesus absolutely means that Jesus is reigning. It absolutely means that Jesus is ruling at the right hand of God. But likewise, we now live holding in tension that his reign is not yet fully present. We do not yet see all things in submission to Jesus. We do often, it does not look like Jesus is reigning. We know he is. The resurrection has proven it. The, the word of God confirms it. But often it does not look like Jesus is ruling and reigning. Paul writes in verse 3, For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is conscious of the reign of God. Can we hold off on that slide just for one second? Paul is conscious of the reign of God now in Christ, but yet he says we are hidden but will soon appear when Christ appears. So there's this tension he's writing about of hidden, but something's going to appear. So there's this, Paul's intentionally picking these two words of hidden revealed. Hidden will not yet appear. All right, you can put that slide up now. Thank you. There are two ways to consider this. What is he talking about with this word hidden? What does it mean that we're hidden in Jesus, that we're hidden in Christ? Well, the first way means that we're protected. We are hidden in Jesus. We are secure. We are safe in him. For those in Jesus, those who have died with him, you are secure and your enemies cannot ultimately harm you. So there's one way of looking at what does it mean to be hidden in Christ. The second way is that we are not yet revealed for who we fully are. That Christ is not yet revealed for who he fully is as the reigning God. So his people are hidden in him. They're not yet revealed for who they are. And I think that these two meanings are not in opposition, but they're absolutely connected. This means that we embrace the reality that we don't yet see things fully as they are, but we actually embrace that in confidence, knowing that in Jesus we are secure. Do you see that? That those two things absolutely work together. That we know we don't fully see things the way they're supposed to be yet. But we know that we are safe and secure in Jesus. That we can trust him. That he is revealing. That he is building his kingdom. That he is already on the move making all things new. So what does that mean in our life? If the resurrection of Jesus means that we are hidden in him. What happens if you begin to embrace that reality? Friends, it means you don't just live by what you see. It means that you know there is a whole other world at work. The present is not all that's happening. The many areas that we seek and find and lose temporal security and safety is not our real safety. This means that you can look at the world prophetically. <laughs> Knowing, here's what I see happening, but here's the reality above what I see happening right now. I, I intentionally wanted to share this with you guys. All week long as I was prepping for this sermon, I kept thinking about our stories of grace last week. If you missed it, it's okay. Make sure you hear the next first Sunday because we're going to do it again. 
For those who don't know, our Stories of Grace is a time where the first Sunday of the month we set up a microphone and allow our church family to just come and share stories of the grace of God smashing into our lives and showing us Jesus in our suffering, in our trials, in our longings, in our hopes. It's a time when me and Scott release our pastoral control and we just say, here's the mic, who's going to come talk? Last week, we could have in one sense we almost didn't even need to preach because the whole church was preaching to the church we heard stories we heard multiple people stand up share speak testify about walking through suffering fighting to trust God enduring hardships there's one story of some really really dear friends of ours here at redemption who've been fighting for 12 years to have a baby seeing everyone around them have children. And at the start of last year, they got pregnant and then had a miscarriage. And then the rest, in, in one sense, literally the rest of their world blew up the rest of the year. That was just the beginning of a really bad year. <laughs> and they stood up here last week and shared about how they're hidden in Christ. They know that what is happening right now is not the only reality that is real for them. Friends, that's, that's the resurrection power at work. They are holding on to both the hidden and the not yet revealed. That's where you find hope. The fact that the new creation is already coming. It's already broken in. We know it's not yet here fully, but it's already come. It's already broken in. Friends, that's how the resurrection is not just the power of God demonstrated, but that's the hope in the present. In the holding on, in the longing, in the waiting, in the darkness of the unseen, we know that God is already taking all things that seem to be death and nothing and turning them into life, turning them into life that will soon be revealed. This is what it means to live by faith and not by sight. That we know Jesus is on his throne. We don't yet see all things looking as if he is on the throne. But because we're hidden in Jesus, we can embrace there is a reality beyond just everything I can see right now. So we are those who through the resurrection already live as if we've died. And in Jesus, we can embrace the reality of the hidden and the not yet revealed. But we do this, as Paul says, by fixing our eyes on things above. The things above that are hidden, but are nevertheless true. So we live as those who fix our gaze on the realities of the resurrected and ascended Jesus. Look at verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. Paul writes, if you're raised with Jesus, seek the things above. And then look at verse 2. He almost says the same thing in verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. At first glance, maybe when you heard this passage read, you might have thought, oh, he's saying focus on heaven. Focus on the heavenly kind of stuff. You know, peace, love, holiness. Think about those things rather than all this earthy stuff. Focus on heaven, and then all your problems will just go away. You've probably heard a lot of theology like that. 
That is absolutely not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, view your life in light of the resurrection. View your life in light of the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of God right now. He says, seek the things above. Set your minds on things above. Notice, this is a call to intellect, to use logic, to use reasoning. This is not a call to blind faith. Just, you know, think about heaven and, oh, everything will become great and peaceful. No! He's saying, use your brain to figure out the fact that if Jesus is really on the throne, then what does that mean in my life? This is not a call for blind faith, as people often wrongly accuse Christianity of promoting. Paul is saying, if the resurrection's real, figure out how that shapes all things in your life. So setting our minds on things above means fixing your whole life around the fact that Jesus has not just been raised, but is now reigning at the right hand of God. Paul is saying use all of your faculties to consider that reality. At the end of the day, Paul is saying view your life in light of the story of God. What is true in light of the story of God? Jesus is on the throne. That now reshapes everything. Focusing on the heavenly realities, the things above, is not saying just be holy and be good. No. Paul is saying you are in a positional reality now. is hidden in Jesus and he is reigning. What now does that mean in your life? He says seek the things above where Christ is seated. Is seated. One commentator talked about how, like, the original Greek wording is seated means that he's seated there, and now that has ongoing meaning for right now. It's not just, uh, okay, well, he's seated. Okay, great. No, that means something for right now. This means the things above are the realities that are true because Jesus is at the right hand of God. So Paul's saying, focus your life around the fact that Jesus is reigning. That's what the right hand of God means. Often we think, oh, right hand of God. Okay, Jesus, here's God, you know, Father. Here's the Son, right hand. We think of this like throne room scene as if that's what Paul's wanting us to think about. Paul is wanting us to think about what does the right hand of God mean? The one who is at the right hand of the king, what is true of that person? In the Old Testament, in the ancient world, if you just want to write down these verses, you can look them up. Psalm 110, 1 Kings 2, where David's transferring this kingdom to Solomon, and Solomon's taking on the kingdom. Daniel 7, where this human-ish figure comes to the king and takes power from the king. There's all these verses in the Old Testament alluding to this one who will come to the right hand of Yahweh. In, in the ancient world, the right hand meant the one who has prominence and honor. The right hand is the one who got crap done. The right hand of the king is the one who accomplishes the things that the kings want. The right hand of the king is where the king's strength, power, protection, favor is seen. And Paul is saying, all of that is Jesus. He is the right hand of God. So Paul's saying, take that whole reality of what the right hand of God is, and then realize that's all Jesus. All the strength of God, all the power of God, all the honor of God is all now located in the man, Jesus, who walked out of a tomb. So that's why Paul's saying, fix your eyes on things above, because that's where the right hand of power is. 
Paul is saying, orient all of your life around that point. If you fixed your mind on that, if we fixed our gaze on that, if we approached our lives, we approached Monday morning like that, what would change in your life? As we prepare to close in just a couple minutes, again, this is what we're talking about when we say gospel fluency. How do the truths about Jesus speak into the, your life? The gospel is not just something that we believe. I pray to prayer. Jesus is the king. My sins are forgiven. No, what does the gospel mean right now? With your suffering, with the bad medical diagnoses, with the relationships that drive you crazy, with struggling in our economy, with figuring out what to do with difficult children, with difficult situations in life. What happens to all of those things if you view them in light of the right hand of power? This is what we're talking about with gospel fluency, taking the truths about Jesus and speaking them into our lives. So if your mind is fixed on the reign of Christ, consider these questions. What happens when people offend you? You're free to view them in light of the reign of Christ, which means you can forgive and suffer well. If your mind is fixed on the reign of Christ, what do you do with all your problems? you actually realize that the problems that are pressing in on you are not threatening your real security. If your mind is fixed on the reign of Christ, then you can ask, where are my other allegiances? All the other philosophers, mystics, fortune tellers that I'm looking to to give me hope, where have I actually abandoned Jesus as my true allegiance? You can, you can joyfully repent of those things. I've been asked this question by uh, different pastors in my life and heard this in different sermons, but what would change if you woke up every day, sleep still in your eyes, brain not even really functioning yet, and you knew, I haven't even done one thing yet, Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. If you woke up every day, and that reality was the first thought in your head. What would change in your day? What would change with your money? What would change with your allegiances? What would change with your calendar? What would change with your priorities? What would change with all of your anxieties and things that fill you? I want you to consider these questions, but I want you to realize that these are not intended for you to take notes on and go sit alone and figure this out. We do this in community. We do this in life with each other. You, as a follower of Jesus, are to have your life in orbit with other people of Jesus who can speak the truths of Jesus. So I would encourage you to, yes, take notes. Yes, consider these questions. And then get with people who know you well in your missional community and discuss these questions with people. This is why we need each other to grow as disciples, to learn to speak these things into each other's lives. This is why we talk about missional communities so much. That's where the real life of discipleship happens. The band can come on up. We're going to close in song in, in just a minute. 
So today on Resurrection Sunday, church, we, we live as those whose minds are fixed on Jesus. The one who's at the right hand of the Father. And that means that we can see that we're those who have already died and been raised anew in Jesus. And so that means that the things that are hidden, the things that are not yet revealed, we know that all those things are not only in Christ's power, but we live in light of those things, protected and hidden in Jesus. Through fixing our gaze, through fixing our minds on the things that are above. We're going to close. Uh, the band's going to lead us in some songs, and we're going to go to communion. You might think, well, wait a minute. Communion is where we celebrate the death of Jesus, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is where we celebrate the death of Jesus. And then now we're living out of his resurrection power. So that's why we're doing communion today. We remember his death through taking this little bit of bread and this little bit of juice. Because Jesus died to forgive us, to remove us, to cleanse our sin from us, but also because he died. Because when he stepped out of that tomb, all of the powers of Satan, sin, and death were broken. But also, in communion, in this meal, you know, in one sense, this is, okay, this is a little piece of bread, a little bit of juice. This isn't a meal. This is a picture of a meal. Many of us today will go have a meal. We will go gather with people around a meal. In communion, we look back to Jesus' meal when he said, here's the new covenant that I'm bringing in my broken body, in my blood, where all the promises of Abraham are now being fulfilled in me. So here's this new covenant. But friends, communion is not just about looking back. This is about anticipating the big meal. The real meal when Jesus comes and we're going to sit with him. We're going to sit with the one who gave himself up for us. And we will enjoy a meal with him. We will enjoy a celebration with him. So in communion, we look back and we also look forward. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ who is our life. We are united to Jesus, church. So in just a minute, the band's going to lead us in a couple closing songs. So we invite you to just come forward, grab a little cup of juice, grab a piece of bread. You can hang out on the wings. You can hang out in a row. You can gather with people. You can pray together. You could just take it individually. If you just need some space, maybe for repentance, confession, assurance, it's great. You can do that on your own. If you want to get with people and do this, that's great too. And at the end of those closing songs, Krista is going to come up and lead us in closing benediction. So would you all stand now? Jesus, we thank you that today we celebrate the work is done. The work is finished. And you now are calling us in your resurrection power to be those who live as if we've already died. Jesus, I pray for those of us here who maybe even on Resurrection Sunday are struggling for hope, are struggling for joy, are struggling for perseverance. Jesus, would you show them, would you show us that we're hidden in you?
that the empty grave is the final declaration over our lives. And Jesus, even now, as we go to sing, as we go to celebrate, Jesus, would you show us how to be your people, how to be your witnesses today in this world? Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you are the ruling and reigning king. And now, Jesus, we turn our gaze, our minds, our song to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.